Welcome to Crossing Crown Radio, an unapologetically Christian reconstructionist talk show for your edification and your enjoyment. Jesus is King. There's no neutrality, no exile, no surrender. My name is Jason. With me here is John. Howdy, How howdy. are you? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? Been a busy day, I can tell you. Yeah, it's been a busy last few days. I, I just got done moving. I know you just got done doing a lot of work too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny, I, I was joking with Mary, uh, It's there's a lot that goes into this, yeah. just like mental prep work and you know all the background stuff of, are the mics working? Do we have everything in place? And so you kind of feel tired, you kind of like stressed sometimes, but then it ends up working out just fine. Right. Which it, it comes great. together. It does each and every time. And then once we get going, I get a little more amped up, which is kind of cool. I think, I think so too. Yeah. <laughs> it usually does work out that way. Well, thanks for joining us on another episode, Crossing Crown Radio. Uh, we want to, again, remind you. Well, for one, thank you everybody who tuned in to the first episode or 25th episode, as it were. We uh, took a little bit of a break, but we're back and, and thankful for all the shares, all the likes, the, the folks who uh, wrote us and said how much they appreciated the podcast. And, and that's always humbling to hear. So I'm glad it's edifying to you and enjoying and enjoyment to you. Um, but we're back at Lamb's Rain. You can go to lambsrain.com and check out the articles there. Uh, our social media is pretty active, too. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We got some posts up on really challenging some of the narratives that are out there, uh, trying to push theonomy and God's law and the gospel into these places. So make sure you follow us on Facebook. You can follow Cross and Crown Radio on Facebook, Lambs Reigns on Facebook as well. And also, we mentioned this last week, if you feel led and uh, something that you would like to do, you can uh, partner with us, partner in the work here. Uh, go to lambsrain.com slash support. You can sign up for monthly donations or one-time donation or don't and then just enjoy the show. That's cool too. You can always share it with your friends and and help us get the word out. But we're thankful for all the encouraging words uh, and, and so on. So thank you all for that. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys. Also, lambsrain.com slash CCR. You can find our past episodes there. I think one of our hottest episodes, if I'm not mistaken, was the one on theonomy. There's a lot of discussion. Right. The defining theonomy. It's, it's, I, I, I think there's also um, Todd Friel of Wretched uh, had an interesting take on theonomy that we dismantled. If yeah. I, if I could be frank about that. <laughs> yeah. Gently took that apart, which it needed to happen because there's so many straw men out there especially come, coming from folks who are predisposed to dispensationalism and some of the, in our opinion, er, erroneous presuppositions there. And uh, But that was a popular episode. I know we had Dr. Joel McDermott on talking about the Karam principle, right? which was a, a fun episode to have him in person, which was really cool interviewing him. So a lot of highlights from the first couple of seasons, but we're, we're happy to be back with you all here. So uh, unless I missed anything... Sounds good to me. Pastor. I think we're I think yeah. we're okay. Well, we <laughs> Some we good have housekeeping. A, something that John and I have talked about for quite a long time. I mean, we've had many, you know, our our Sunday gatherings are we we fellowship, we worship, we eat a lot of food, um, we sing, pray together, open up the Word. It's it's a joyful time, and there have been several Sundays where you and I have just sat across from each other and talked about what we're going to talk about today, and a lot of it stems from. It's easy to just go into, oh, should women be pastors and and the whole debate there. And that's not really where you probably should start. Yeah. And because I, I don't think women are to be elders. I think Paul makes that clear in First Timothy 3 and Titus. But that's not even the starting point. You and I want to talk on this episode about authority, about submission, about what it looks like in terms of um, gender and male-female relationships, husband and wife. And one of the interesting books that came out, and I have it here, and I might get in trouble for having a copy, but uh, Amy Bird's book, Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And uh, I started reading it a few months ago. I just put it aside because <laughs> other books come and I want to get into them for whatever reason. But I, I decided to finish the last few chapters this week, and and it's it was a great read. I think Amy Bird wrote an incredible book, an incredibly helpful book, and not just you know sort of the uh, extremist thing where you go back and forth on oh well you're a liberal so therefore X Y Z, you know okay. a lot of the a lot of the hyper um, 
what we might call the patriarchal camp. Right. So you're not so, coming out of the book thinking uh, this is a liberal feminist writing this right. book. Yeah, you shouldn't. And and frankly, honestly, this is becoming a well, it's already been, I think, a large problem in a lot of places where you you write the book off, because, you know, not having read it. <laughs> yeah. That book is terrible. Did you read it? No, no, no. But I heard about it. <laughs> okay. I actually haven't read it. Yeah. You, I started it and I've read several reviews of it. Um, I'm relying a little bit upon you in this episode yeah. for some of the more in-depth thoughts. Yeah. But, um, I am familiar with some of the key points and... Um, one of the things that should be stated is that Amy Bird is a confessional OPC Presbyterian, right? Uh, which just just on that point alone actually makes her more traditionally orthodox and conservative than a lot of her critics, even mm-hmm. especially critics that agree with the ESS, the Eternal Substitu- uh, Subordination of the Sun, yep. uh, uh, Federal Visionists, so on and so forth. She's actually closer to traditional historic orthodoxy than a lot of those guys. Right. And it is interesting because some critiques of her are from people who are not even confessional. They, even if you're a Baptist and you, you're not even 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. Right. You, you're, you're not even boasting in that. Not, not that, you know, confession supersedes everything else. No, it doesn't. Confessions don't supersede everything else. And it's not necessarily going to be like the stamp of approval. But what what is fascinating is hearing that she's somehow attacking some sort of traditional Christianity when at least some of these people, they hold to a very modern view of kind of hipster reforms. Yeah. Leaky, bisby kind of yeah. patriarchal, you well, know, so on and so forth. And that's not one, all of them, of course, yeah. but quite a few of them. And that's actually one of the shortfalls of the young, restless, reformed phenomenon that, you know, kind of became a thing around mid-2000, like 2005, six. Right. Back when the Emergent Village was a huge discussion and Mark Driscoll was in his heyday. and I thought the Emergent Church was going to, like, topple Christianity. Really? No. Uh. That's, just, that's, that's just what everybody was saying. Yeah. That was just, and, it, you know, it's gone. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. I remember having a conversation with Ed Stetzer once, uh, just personal. He was in okay. in Philly, and uh, I got to cart him around for the day and just chat with him. And, and, and great guy. Really, I, I love Dr. Stetzer. And he, he said, look, let's just give it some time. I think in 10 years, this thing won't even be a thing. Yeah, he, he, was, was, he was right. He was dead on. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't even take 10 years, I don't think. So anyway, a lot of critiques from uh, people in various quarters on Amy Bird's book. She's written some other books, Housewife, Theologian, uh, Why Can't We Be Friends. I've read that one. Did you? Yeah. The Why Can't We Be Friends mm-hmm. one? I would like to read that one. I, I really liked it. It really made me think a lot about how I view, honestly, women and the, and the friends that I have that are women and how... A lot of times, and this is maybe kind of more my take on some of her ideas than her explicit ideas, so don't quote me as if this is her ideas, but a a lot of times I do think that we almost objectify women, especially in the Reformed or conservative Christian circles, because we either view them as um, like a sexual threat, like they're a venomous snake that could be biting us with their sexual threat at any point in time, or we view them as a potential spouse. and if we don't view them in those two categories, maybe they're a friend's wife, maybe they're just another single woman that you're maybe not interested in, but, you know, so, but she's still, you know, maybe a person that you could be friends with, but you write her off because she yeah. doesn't fit in those two categories. Yeah, she's right? either a temptation to avoid or a means to another end. Exactly. And, and that's incredibly objectifying. They're right. not their own person. Right. And uh, anyway, I recommend uh, having you know, of course, female friends, and there's a lot that we can say about wisdom and different circumstances. But the general idea, I feel like, is really important. Yeah, she even, uh, Amy, or I'll call her Amy. We can call sure. her Amy. Yeah, first name basis. Yeah, yeah. we're first name basis. Yeah, I've talked to her like twice. So. Yeah, yeah. That's two more times than I have. Uh, <laughs> On like social media. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, one thing she does mention, and I, I can't, I have... I, you can see the the doggy ears here. There's a few different places I want to pull from. Uh, first of all, that's you shouldn't do that to books, and you should feel bad about yourself. I actually don't most books, but books that I'm really trying to dig into, mm-hmm. and especially something like this. Okay. I, I, I'll, all right, fine. 
I like a highlighter mostly, but yeah, anyhow. Anyway, she mentions this issue with uh, Adam and Eve, where Eve is kind of viewed like, well, see, you're the woman, you messed it up, and women just always mess things up, and they're always going to be the source of consternation and contention, and they are um, either sexual objects and. <laughs> or worse yet, sexual objects who will whose only goal is to lure you into temptation. Yeah. And that's uh, a really terrible view of women. But let's back up a little bit because I want to I want to read a few different things from from the book. And I really want us to try. So this again, I, I'll even show us show the folks who are watching. <laughs> this is the book and I'm reading from the book and I have read the entire book. So I, I don't have a ton of critique. I have more, and I think you and I both want to just sort of nuance some things because because sure. you yeah. you've seen the critics. Let's you know let's figure out what is Amy saying in the book and try our best to to affirm what she's not saying, but also maybe us maybe I don't know just kind of fill in a little bit. So anyway, the book "Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood" John Piper and Wayne Grudem came out with "Rediscovering," excuse me, "Recovering Biblical Manhood." and womanhood in 2006 and that quickly became kind of the book that folks went went to especially in the reformed when reform was that published crowd, uh, 2006 okay so 2006 you had the rise of acts 29 john piper's ministry uh through desiring god became uh really heightened at that point uh you know the time magazine article that came out with the young restless the calvinism the new calvinism being one right. of the most influential ideas so it was written during it a very pivotal time in terms of theological awakening to some degree, a lot of young people grabbing tulip and saying, this makes sense to me. This is a better formulation of the doctrines of grace or salvation, which we affirm you and I are reformed. We confess that tulip is a true thing, right? The Bible, the Bible teaches it, but here come, uh, here comes along, uh, along comes John Piper and Wayne Grudem in this book. And it's interesting the way that they, describe uh, biblical manhood and womanhood. And so I'm going to read this. It's just a couple um, sentences, but Amy picks this out and critiques it. And she does a good job of critiquing it as far as I can tell. She says at the heart, excuse me, this is her quoting Piper and Grudem to clarify at the heart of mature masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead, provide for, and protect women in ways appropriate to a man's differing relationships. That's masculinity. Benevolent responsibility to lead, provide for, and protect women. All right. That's biblical manhood. Okay. A little short-sighted. Yeah. At the heart of mature femininity is a freeing disposition to affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership, leadership from worthy men. Ah. In ways appropriate to a woman's differing relationships. So Bird's problem, Amy, sorry, we're on first name basis. Amy's issue <laughs> is that this defines, quote unquote, biblical manhood and womanhood in terms of a, a woman's role is simply to affirm a, male, a man's leadership. Right. Now, not, not a wife affirming her husband's leadership, which can be done. And my wife leads in ways that I affirm her leadership. Oh, no, what have I done to the patriarchy? Uh, so I think she picks up on a really big problem with those definitions. So so could a unmarried woman be biblically feminine? Well, according to them, no. Or at least she, to the degree that she would affirm. She would have to still be affirming somebody, some, man. some other man's yes. leadership. Some, some other man could be somebody in church or, I don't know, a friend. Let me quote Amy some more. These definitions appear to say that all men lead all women. A man needs to be leading a woman, many women, to be mature in his masculinity. A woman's function is to affirm a man's, many men's, strength and leadership. Hmm. This plays out in the oddest scenarios in the book and other related teachings, the book she was quoting from. For example, if the mailman comes to the door and a woman answers, he needs to be thinking about how his leadership is affirmed as a man in their interactions. That's actually an example that Piper uses in an Ask Pastor John thing from Desiring God. 
Or if a man is lost driving in a neighborhood and the only person he can find outside a woman, the book considers how he can ask for directions from her without masculinity suffering. <laughs> it's very strange. I've, I, well, not, <sighs> I, mean, I guess asking for directions these days, you don't really have to do that with your iPhone. But So she kind of pulls in some of these examples and manhood and womanhood are viewed through a filter of authority and submission. Yeah. Strength and neediness. And, quote, to the degree that a woman's influence over a man is personal and directive, it will generally offend a man's good, God-given sense of responsibility and leadership and thus controvert God's created order. So if a woman leads out in any undefined way, that immediately undercuts the man. Not husband. As if it's a zero-sum game. Right. right. Zero-sum game. You're either affirming leadership or you are undermining it. Right. Well, so far, there, there's the obvious thing. And the obvious thing to me is that the definition of femininity is completely reliant upon men mm-hmm. and, and the relationship of women to men. But it's, all, it's, it's honestly almost as bad for the men, mm-hmm. where the definition of masculinity has everything to do with the relationship with women. Of course, the traject- the, the, the authority trajectory is different, right? Right. right. But the, the thing that really sticks out to me so far the big, big red flag is that both masculinity and femininity is completely dependent upon other human beings. Right. As opposed to their relationship to God. Right. That's, that's, that's Amy's contention too. Yeah. We've defined it. So, and, and this is what's actually interesting. When you read Romans one, you think about they worshiped and served the creature instead of the creator. And sort of this idea of worship being not just that they bow down to the goats or whatever that you're sacrificing at the moment. Yeah, low-hanging fruit. Yes, but but you're actually defining like ontology, right? That's for those who don't know. Ontology simply is the nature of being, the thing in itself as defined by God. It's all meanings imputed by God. Uh, so the ontology of the thing, the being of the thing, uh, becomes defined not by God in this situation. It becomes defined by something in the created order, right? Yeah. So the male and the female made in the image of God, which you agree are both made in the image of God, right? I just want to make sure yes. you're not a heretic and have yes. some weird views on this, <laughs> <laughs> but they're made in the image of God and equally made in the image of God. Yeah. So, and that's important. It's not like man is made in the image and woman's kind of, or secondarily, no, both made in the image of God and reflecting God in a way that he has designed. Absolutely. So that's the ontological root of it all. But this seems to affirm that, your ontology is dictated. If you want to be a masculine person, it's dictated by you leading women okay, or women submitting to men. So one argument that could be made, and I think it has some merit is that, and it's almost a one in the many argument is that yes, there are going to be attributes that are almost individualistic about how we stand before God, but we're also made for community and made for interacting with other people. So there could be aspects of our ontology that does reflect upon how we interact with say other women or I'm say other men or other women. But it seems like these definitions go far beyond that. They're not, they're not just saying an aspect of on our ontology is going to be how we are in community with other people, but that actually is the definition, right? Like the, the authority submission relationship is the definition. Yes. And I want to read another quote from her in one on page one Oh five in, in just a second, but the ontology, it's not like we're the, there's like two ditches here. The one ditch is when we say, well, we're going the pagan monistic, you know, all is one, the oneist, uh, everything's just rolled into one. And there are a lot of pagan sexual Freudian type people, Carl Jung, you know, that want to roll male and female into this one thing. Right. Uh, but so that's the one ditch, but on the other ditch, it's not like we're saying, well, there's complete differences who could ever solve it. 
we're biblical people. We're supposed to be Bible people. So the ontological question has to be rooted in 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 the nature of God, like you brought up the one and the many, the Trinity, right? The equal ultimacy of God, the, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we can say within the Trinity, ontologically, Father, Son, Holy Spirit are each person is God, right? That's Absolutely. basic Reformed theology. That's basic. And That's ancient Christian creedal like faith. Bottom line. And you brought up the ESS debate, which she talks about as well in the book with the eternal subordination of the Son and the error that it is, the massive error that it is. And so that's where a lot of this stuff is rooted in the idea that, well, Jesus is just always in, in his nature and being in eternal submission to the Father, as if, the, as if that's ontologically. Functionally, it is, right? Right. Functionally, or econ- the economic trinity, we call it, right? Theologians call it that. Fancy people. Like Fancy. Those doctorates. Yeah. So you have the Father and the Son and the Spirit co-equal, co-eternal, the Godhead being perfectly united in truth. and But then you have Jesus coming and taking on flesh and being obedient to the Father, you know, and all these passages that come to mind. So if you take that economic functionality and apply it to the ontology, you miss the Trinity. Yeah. That's... that's uh, for those who don't know, that's the big debate. Uh, I don't know if it's big anymore, but it was there. It was a pretty hot topic there for a while, uh, and just a few short years ago. Anyway, so back up here. She explains those definition, definitions, uh, or she quotes them again, and then she says this. I find these definitions troublesome. They are one-dimensional. The heart of masculinity and femininity provided here is all about male leadership. Nowhere does Scripture, I repeat, nowhere does Scripture state that all women submit to all men. Yeah, that's pretty basic. All right. Yeah. Now, but I've heard from other guys, even pastors, say, well, no, that they should submit, as if my wife is supposed to submit to them. Right. Being a male. And I think one of the retorts I've heard is that this is a straw man. Mm-hmm. That there aren't actually people who are like this, you know, uh, maybe she's cherry picking a few anecdotes, but these are things that I have, I've, I've witnessed. Mm-hmm. These are things that I've heard of in, uh, PCA churches, Southern Baptist churches, OPC Presbyterian churches, where either a woman is expected to be directly under the authority of her father, directly under the authority of her husband. But if she's unmarried and outside of her father's home, she is going to be under the authority of the elders and the elders are essentially going to be like de facto parents to Mm, her. mm. And it can be very abusive. And uh, it is very much a lording over her and essentially treating her like a child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She goes on. My aim in life is not to be constantly looking for male leadership. And it's very difficult for a laywoman like me who does see some theological teaching for God outfitting qualified men for an office to see this kind of reductive teaching and call it complementarianism. Perpetuating this constant framework of authority and submission between men and women can be very harmful. My femininity is not defined by how I look for and nurture male leadership in my neighbors, coworkers, or male carriers. I am not denying that order... uh, I'm not denying the order needed in both my personal household and in the household of God. No, you hear her. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. She's not denying order. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and it's really, it's about ultimacy. Right. I'm not, I'm not denying order needed in both personal household and the household of God, but I do not reduce the rights and obligations in a household to mere authority and submission roles. Somebody say amen. Amen. Paul teaches mutual submission among Christians, even as he addresses husband and wife specifically. That's Ephesians 5. I uphold distinction between the sexes without reduction as Scripture does. So that's a bold paragraph. Yeah, that's a bold paragraph. (laughs) And I agree with her. I, I, I don't see her trying to undermine any sort of Biblical teaching here. Yeah, this isn't contra-confessional. Well, exactly. That's the other thing. I want, let's kind of shift a little bit and unpack some more about some of the stuff you and I have talked about a lot. Authority and submission. What do, what do we mean by that? <laughs> what is authority? What is, 
with submission, it typically tends to be reduced down to, well, the woman needs to just do what the husband says. Sure, sure. So the verse that uh, she mentioned, and it's going to be in Ephesians 5, um, it has to do with mutual submission. And one of the arguments that I've heard being made is that that is exclusively just talking about in the, in the in the local church, kind of this ecclesiastical mutual submission, and then there's like a break, and then it starts talking about the household. Um, my answer to that is: Aren't women also in the church? True. Like like even even if those texts are more focused on the body of Christ, women are included in that. So if if we are all as in the body of Christ, supposed to be mutually mutually submitting to one another in Christ, that would include women. Mm-hmm. That would include wives. And, and so we have to ask ourselves, what does submission mean then? Because submission, if we take it how some patriarchalists and complementarians take it, it just means obedience. Like if I'm going to submit to you, that just means I'm always going to obey you. And the, it's a very stark. And the assumption being there's some sort of directive. Right, right. But if we're all going to be submitting to one another, as the text says in um, verses is it 21? 21, 21, yeah, yeah. it's 21. Um, if we're going to be submitting to one another, it's not as if everyone's going around and giving directives to everyone and we're all just automatically obeying and it just becomes this crazy like like John, circus pick, scenario pick up my water now and, yeah exactly <laughs> then i can tell you to do something and then it's just it's it just becomes this kind of absurd thing but submission means more than, than that and and to, to actually read the text verse 21 says submitting to one another out of reverence for christ and that's extremely important because yeah. none of this is like a stark, concrete obedience. It is always rooted into something else. And in this text, it is rooting in reverence for Christ. So it's yeah. always that. So if you're able to persuade me by the word of God and by your experience and by the respect I have of you of a certain ethical question, maybe a life decision, maybe a theological point, then I'd be submitting to you. Mm-hmm. But if I were to come to you and convince you of something based on the same merits, then you'd be submitting to me. Right. And God forbid, if I was a woman, I would still hope that you would submit to me if I'm actually able to persuade you by the word of God. And you would submit out of reverence, not of me, but out of reverence for Christ. For Christ. And the reason is because the truthfulness of the thing matters. Yeah. Right? Right. The submission is based on the truthfulness of the thing, which is what carries authority. Absolutely. We're Christian Reconstructionists, and one of the points of that is we're presuppositional. And a lot of thing, a lot of times, presuppositionalists talk about how there's no neutrality, and we use that in ethical debates, and we use that in apologetics, uh, epistemology, all that fun stuff. We'll have an episode on that. I, we might have already had an episode on that. I can't remember. We can do another one. <laughs> right, we can do another one. <laughs> but the point being is that there's no neutrality on all these different issues. So instead of being so stinking concerned about who happens to be the man in the discussion, we really need to be thinking about who's who's actually right. Mm-hmm. And maybe neither of them are right. Maybe there's more nuance to that. But we really need to be diving in and thinking about how can we submit to one another in reverence to Christ. That's a that's a gr- a brilliant. Um, well, it's Paul's words, but it's a brilliant <laughs> observation because it's not a new idea. Well, yeah. I was just thinking, you know, I I've been in. Well, not, I'm bivocational now, but for you know almost ten years in full time ministry and doing premarital counseling, post-marriage counseling, uh, and divorce cleanup, a whole bunch of stuff. And in in my own experience, so I'm taking this as experience uh, in my own marriage, but also in in helping others and assisting others in their marriages as well. But the man is not always right. Can we just say that? <laughs> can we, can, the man's not always right. In fact, I mean, I don't feel threatened. So that's, yeah, that's, that's good. good. <laughs> well, and because I, my own, my, my wonderful wife, Mary, we have been on an amazing journey together, three kids. And I can literally say, man, she is so sharp. She has w- tremendous wisdom that if I were 
too stupid and stubborn to listen, man, I would, I, I would wreck the marriage. Right. I think that would be you living out in reverence for yourself. Yeah. Reverence. Yeah, exactly. Because you being right, even though you maybe even, you know, you're wrong, you're just being stubborn. Yeah. You've lost the reverence for Christ thing. You've thrown it in the trash can very quickly. But so personal experience, just, I know that my wife has wisdom in certain areas that I just have to, I just, I know I need to listen to her. She has the gift of discernment. The Holy Spirit has worked in her tremendous amounts of time in that. And I would be an absolute fool to not hear her out. And so to me, I'm, I believe I'm submitting to her out of reverence for Christ for the sake of the truth, Yeah, which is way more important than a petty yeah. argument. Now, I want to read just a little bit further. Um, it says in verse 21, as I said, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it gets into the often quoted uh, kind of patriarchal slash complementarian verses. Now, these verses belong to Christ, but these are going to be the verses that are oftentimes quoted. Yeah. Uh, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For your husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. And once again, just like in verse 21, we're talking about mutual submission and reverence for, uh, in reverence for Christ. In verse 22, what's the focus? It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I really want to drive this point home because the focus, the focal point, the reasoning behind these verses is never just because I'm the man. Right. And it's like, men, it's not actually about you. Like when women, when your wives submit to you, it's because they should be submitting to Christ first, which sometimes means they won't be submitting to you because mm-hmm. you're not actually Christ. Yeah. Sim- simple as that. It says, as to the Lord. That is so important. And that's where the ontological confusion comes in. Right. Because of what you just said. Well, because I'm the man. You are appealing to a finite, absolute imbecilic creature who doesn't always have it right, whose heart is not always pure, <laughs> you, you are not the standard. You can't possibly be the standard. Absolutely. So, no, you don't submit because he's a man. Right. Okay? So that's, that's the issue that I take. That's Amy's take, I think, in a lot of ways. I know that's something you and I have talked about all the time. It's just not. It's about the Lord, reverence for Christ. It's submission to what is true, and fighting for what is true, my goodness, is if there was ever a time to fight for what is true and, Absolutely. and, and, and submit to it and be humble yeah. enough to submit to it. I mean, listen, if we're going to talk about defying, defying tyrants and so on and so forth, and my goodness, like a faithful woman should be able to like stand up to a husband who's wrong on an issue, like mm-hmm. legitimately wrong on an issue. Mm-hmm. And we don't really have, have time to do a full Bible study on Ephesians five, but right. I really did want to drive that point. Yeah. Home. And that's you have to, I think that's a very often overlooked section. Yeah. Not uh, like part of that section. I should sure, say. Sure. Sure. The principles are always tied back to, to, to God and to, to, to Jesus Christ himself. Right. Yeah. One of the things I love about Amy's book too, is that she really spends a lot of time, her her um, exegesis of Ruth, the story of Ruth. Why didn't? Why isn't the book of Boaz? You know, it's kind of a kind of a funny. Uh, Is that where she goes into like the the female voice? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That's really interesting. Yep. Yeah. Yep. The female voice, the interruption of of the female. Same thing in the Gospels. You have Mary and and all these the stories. Who who was the first to the tomb? The women, right? Yeah. The subpar can't be trusted. Their testimony could never be trusted in court. Why would you listen to them? They're subhuman. Yeah. They were the ones there. But when, as, as all the went all as as all the men kind of moped about and sad and like abandoned the mission, you know, <laughs> yeah. the women stayed. Which they were told what was going to happen had they hung around a little bit and not given themselves to fear. They might have been the first there. Right. So, um, Amy writes on page what am I at one eleven. Men and women are called to be Christ's bride. Men and women. Cool. Christ's bride. This is something women understand more than men, but nonetheless, it is a joint telos. Telos, Greek word meaning goal or the end of something. Men and women are called to be sons of God, sons in the son. This is something men understand more than women, but nonetheless, it is a joint telos. However, this is not an androgynous calling. Kind of what I was saying earlier. 
All those who hold to the authority and inerrancy of Scripture will agree that in creation we find equality of value between the sexes as well as distinction. Okay? She says it, so you can't miss it. We wouldn't even be talking about equality if there were no distinction. But the differences come when we begin to talk about what that distinction is and what that might mean for our relationships. John, what distinctions do we need to talk about? (laughs) (laughs) Well, there are a a few. I would say one of the big standouts uh, would be, are women authorized to serve as elders in the church? Mm -hmm. That's that's a big one. Mm -hmm. There are some others, like uh, should women maybe fight in war? For example, should women, um, you know, you get to some more of the radical camps. Should women even be educated? Should they hold jobs outside the home? What does it even mean to hold a job outside the home? I have a very professional corporate job and I work in the home. Does that make me effeminate? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it, it, it's, 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 um. Well, during COVID, I guess a lot of feminine. I, I know. Right? Exactly. Back. It's like, how, how does it, how are these standards actually practiced and defined um so those are some distinctions i think that um are worth talking about yeah and before we even go to those there's the obvious distinction that women give birth oh yeah there's you know yeah because uh, women are actually women and men are actually men. You're right. Right. And you have Peter's comments in First Peter 3 about the woman being the weaker vessel. We've talked about that before. Right. Uh, generally speaking, men being uh bigger, stronger, but obviously not in every case. I've normatively, right? Normatively, that's kind of how it works. But that kind of ties into so there are distinctions. We affirm that. We're not into the whole adre- um androgynous movement of Yeah. Well, like, like a like a hyper radical egalitarian right right oh. and notice real quick that we're trying to nuance this <laughs> we're not just oh patriarchy versus egalitarianism there's too much at stake to just throw terms and straw man the other team as it were yeah. and the fact that there's the team is another issue but nonetheless so we have distinctions and what about in your view with regard to authority tied to responsibility. Okay. Because of those distinctions. Right. And you brought up some examples that would tie to what is, what is the responsibility of the man and why does that matter more than just, you know, trying to get someone to submit to them? Sure, sure. So, you know, we, we talked a minute about submission, but what 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 is authority, though? And I mean, there's different ways of defining it. I don't think there's just one correct way, but I I think in general authority would be a spiritual and godly influence over over other people that God has given to you. So there's definitely a sense where you could be influential and not authoritative in a spiritual sense. Mm -hmm. So that could be anything from a politician to an athlete. And maybe they have a biblical authority if they're a follower of Christ and God has given that to them. Um, But oftentimes it's just a very worldly kind of influence. So when I speak of authority, I explicitly mean a, a sort of spiritual power that God has given you to influence others. And then we have to ask, well, how does one go about getting this authority? Well, back up well, sure, real quick. Sure. Why did you say, I know the answer for our listeners. <laughs> no, why did you ahead. say uh, influence and not coercion? Because in general, in the church, the kind of authority we have isn't to coerce others or force other people to do things uh, either by some sort of manipulation tactics or, you know, sometimes even violence. Or even just invoking, well, I'm the man, I'm the elder, I'm the pastor, what I say goes. Right. There's a sort of almost ministerial authority you have in order to influence people, persuade people, be winsome, use God's word. Um, And I think that is a sort of ministerial authority that people generally have in the church. Well, on on the other end, something that could be called like a magisterial authority Mm -hmm. uh, would be literally you have to do as I say, or I will either hurt you or throw you in prison or maybe fine you or use some sort of coercion tactics. Right. And sometimes you actually see those coercion tactics in the church. And the, the passage we're dancing around is Jesus saying, don't Lord it like the Gentiles. Don't Lord it over like the Gentiles. So if you want to be first, you have to be last. If you want 
uh, your job is to be a servant to all. Yes. So the, the ethical quality of authority matters. It's, it's paramount. Right. And, and a lot of people get this. They'll say, well, you know, uh, we have Biden and Trump and that's our, and Joe Jorgensen, by the way, there is another candidate in case you didn't know, but we have these candidates on the ballot and the top, you know, the top two, if you will, it always comes down to those sadly, but you look at that and say, well, they have authority, but man, is it not great? And part of the reason it's not great is for us as theonomists, we would say, well, because they're not following God anyway. They don't acknowledge the Lordship of Christ. And if, and if they do, it's just to win votes. Right. All right. And not only is their authority in question, their characters in question too, which is why, backing up to what you just said, when you see the qualifications for an elder listed out, there are ethical things to consider. Yes. So if an elder meets that and he's doing that, his authority is a little more palpable, not because he had to go around telling someone to submit to him. Yeah. It's not the job of a pastor or an elder to go around and try to get people to submit to them. I can hear the critics now. Well, <laughs> we don't say that. We've never said that. Well, but your actions speak louder than words, because if yeah. you think that, the authority is intrinsically tied to the office. Mm -hmm. Let's deal with that. Okay, great. So that is oftentimes just the status quo. That is the assumed idea is that if you are an elder, you automatically have this sort of spiritual power as if being an elder actually gave you that power. Right. Or on kind of the, the reverse, uh, you have authority and therefore you should be an elder. Mm -hmm. So you have those two ideas where um, just being the elder is like being given a badge of authority. Right. And the other idea is you are influential, you are authoritative, therefore you might as well be an elder. And I think that's just missing the point. Mm -hmm. I think that's just greatly missing the point. I, I, we look at Titus, we look at Timothy, we look at these qualifications for being an elder, uh, but ultimately when you, when you read those texts, you see a picture of a man called by God, and that's extremely important. He's mm -hmm. called by God first that is serving the church, and he's guarding the church, and he's, he's acting um, to protect his particular section of God's mm -hmm. flock as best as possible. But he's not ruling over it in this sort of magisterial sense. He's not the king of the church. <laughs> he's not the king of the church at all. Does he, is he the only one that has the keys? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, he's the keys, not the only one. The keys belong to the church. Uh, and, and if you want to go read some Bavank, um, you can find him teaching the same thing. It's actually Reformed doctrine yeah. that... The keys belong to the church, capital the, C. The universal church, right. right? So the goal of the elders to be a servant leader, right? Uh, not to be overbearing a busybody or tyrannical. His job is to actually ensure that the duties and responsibilities of the church happen. Mm -hmm. So there's a sort of responsibility they have, a greater deal of responsibility. And so with all that said, it, they should be people with authority. Mm -hmm. But being an elder doesn't give them that authority. Mm -hmm. And that's where it's important to understand where you get authority. You get authority by being faithful to God's word in both word and deed and serving God first and then other people. Yeah. So you get authority by service and faithfulness, an ethical distinction that is vital. That's actually how you get authority. And is it tied to responsibility? Absolutely. Right. I, I think, uh, you know, with, with great power comes great responsibility, you right. know, Uncle Ben, right? <laughs> so you, you have this, this sort of like, if you're somebody who has authority, because you're generally a, a faithful person uh, and you've served other people, ultimately serving God first, then that would come with responsibilities. Yeah. I just think of, Amy brings up Adam and Eve and the, you know, the etzer, the helper, which, uh, she brings brings up in the one chapter the necessary ally is what one guy translates that is, which I think is is actually really nuanced and brilliant. Okay, because cool. otherwise it's just authority and submission. Yeah. So, oh, you're my helper, so you do whatever I tell you to do. No, no, helper, necessary ally in the Dominion Covenant, not slave. Oh, the help me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the helper, the help me. 
But so Adam and Eve are brought up and this issue with Adam and Eve is Adam, had he done the right thing, he would have took, taken Eve right to the Lord and said, kill me instead. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause that's what Jesus does. Right. He, he sacrifices himself for his bride. But what did he do instead? Right. Instead though. So he, Right. Well, he relinquished, he relinquished his authority because he relinquished his responsibility. Yeah. And re- when you relinquish all of those things. He pointed to Eve. It goes away. Right. Blame shifts. Yeah. You did. start excusing sin. The woman you gave me. Right. So right. It's, we brought up the issue of eldership mostly because I think a lot of these discussions are tied to that. When we think about the functionality of a particular uh, uh person or call or office, if you want to call it that. We've had debates even in the Christian Reconstructionist realm about an elder. Is it a function or an office? Well, Rush Juni seems to say this and Calvin this, and we kind of like, you know, debate around this. Sure. And and the big issue there was, well, actually, why it's both. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason, this is something you and I talked about recently, part of the reason you have a set-aside because I've had this question asked. I'm not finishing sentences really well tonight. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All these thoughts are swirling. The question is, well, what can an elder do that a mature Christian can't do? And my answer is very simple. That mature Christian who's traveling the world as a businessman can't go see Betty who went in the hospital and might be dying. Right. And it's not that he can't or has no authority mm-hmm. to do any of that. It's practical division of labor type stuff. So you're saying there, there could be a person in the church who um, is very knowledgeable about God's word and maybe has a family that's very faithful and perhaps they're gifted in many different ways. And that person has real spiritual authority, but maybe they're not an elder precisely because God has chosen to not call him to that position. Mm -hmm. And so he doesn't hold those specific ecclesiastical responsibilities, but that doesn't mean he's not authoritative, Mm -hmm. which means that women in the church can be extremely authoritative according to, again, how faithful they are, how they serve other people. That's what gives people authority. So I I consider like Amy Bird is somebody who has quite a bit of authority. Mm -hmm. She's very smart and very gifted, and that gives her spiritual authority. Does that mean that she could be an elder? No, it it doesn't, because that is a particular responsibility that is actually, I would say, a burden upon elders. But that responsibility doesn't give you more authority. Mm -hmm. Of course, like you're an elder in our church, pastor, Mm -hmm. and you should have authority because if you are actually qualified to be an elder, you should be a person with authority, Mm -hmm. but you didn't get more authority when you became an elder. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's a really good point when you, when you bring up the issue with Amy, because I'm pretty sure she would agree with that. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not sure, but maybe, yeah, (laughs) I'm pretty sure she's not writing this to grasp because she just has to be an elder. Right. Because then she, she's playing the same game. Her critics are playing. Mm Mm-hmm. And and that's part of the issue, but and I want to make sure we talk about that. Yeah, her okay. critics, because maybe she'll listen to this, and maybe this will be some semblance of encouragement to her. But I don't think she's grasping to be an elder. I think one of the big themes that comes out of this book, honestly, is when you affirm the image of God in women, the calling that women have, and by calling, I simply mean to be followers of Christ. Mm. All right, not. The calling they have to be barefoot and sure. pregnant. I would say the and, dominion mandate is just as much theirs as well. Exactly. And no doubt we, we need women. <laughs> we need women in the church. Yeah. We need them. We, and in our fellowship, um, sometimes they'll read scripture, uh, pray, and a lot of that just depends on how they feel comfortable. If some may not as much as others, and that's okay, and that's something you got to kind of sort through. But our women are super vital and important in the church, and the way we set up authority and submission in the church is problematic. And and the solution isn't, oh, well, I guess they should just be elders and pastors, and then yada yada yada. And now mm. we're in liberty land or li- liberal land, and here we are. It's not that you brought up the eldership issue of responsibility, and then kind of a burden. Right. It's a it's a greater weight and, and a responsibility. It is. 
And I think a lot of it is that he, I think the elder exists to almost act as, as a balance against the people in the church who feel like they should have that power and authority who, who shouldn't, but also to make sure that those duties and responsibilities actually happen because, right. and I, I think this is, is extremely common where when there's not any specific delegation of tasks, they just fall by the wayside where, you know, Frank thinks Steve is going to, you know, um, mow grandma Molly's lawn, but then Steve thinks Frank's going to do it, you mm-hmm. know, and things just fall through the cracks. So part of the role of an elder or any really leader in the church is just to ensure that those things happen, that people are taken care of, that people are visited in the hospital, that lawns are mowed, that dinners are made there to ensure that that happens. It doesn't mean they have to do all of those things, but yeah. they ensure that those things happen. And that isn't, that isn't a badge of power. You know, that isn't a badge of power. I grew up as a pastor's kid and I know how much goes into those sort of positions. (laughs) Yeah. I wouldn't really wish it on many people. Honestly. Yeah. It, and then do the bivocational thing. And, and then also do the bivocational <laughs> You're thing, like, right? I don't know if I can do this today. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I want to read another paragraph, too, because this is kind of going to, I think, tie it in t- together in mentioning uh, Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, the, the book. She calls it one-dimensional teachings that promote a factioned and fractioned discipleship centering on male authority and female submission. I'm going to read the paragraph, but I want to say this earlier in the book, she does a great job of pointing out the fact that we have relegated women to sort of this, oh, well, there's a women's ministry mm-hmm. right over here. And we have women study Bibles and women teachers. And then you have J Mac saying, go home yeah. to, to a very gifted teacher actually in the church. So you have, <laughs> I guess he would say this to Amy too. Oh, probably go, go home. Yeah. Go home and write another book. I'll read it. You know? Sure. <laughs> okay. If that's but it almost seems like a self-fulfilling prophecy uh, yeah. that if you relegate women to these sectors, yeah, that over generations, it might actually be less likely that women would be interested in theology or right. teaching or, you know, so on yeah. and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, she mentions that in the beginning of the book and then kind of brings it here. This is on page 116. It is this ontological argument referring to Male authority, female submission. That, like, that's the ontological paradigm, right? It's this ontological argument teaching the sole distinction between the sexes from the creation account consisting in male-slash-authority and female-slash-submission mm-hmm. that leads to an androcentric focus on theological teaching in discipleship. And that's, not, and that's just not in the creation text. She's right. Unlike the surrounding pagan cultures and myths, Genesis teaches that God granted man and woman authority over the earth and its creatures. He didn't just give it to Adam, right? Creation of woman and the first description of her points to man's need for for a strength equal to him in a corresponding way, his need for a co-laborer to reign with him. The focus of the text is unity and reciprocity. There are no implications of male-slash-female distinctions being authority and submission, which is what much of complementarian teaching insists is the creation distinction between man and woman. Right. And he, one more sentence. And we even see that in the fall, Eve was equally culpable for her sin as God directly addressed her. That's great. And, and so good. Th- there's one thing I was thinking whenever you're reading this is that this idea that there isn't this power or authority distinction in, in the creation order. And she's abs- um, and she's absolutely right. But there is a sort of, authority distinction but not in genesis 1 it's in Mm -hmm. genesis 3 Mm -hmm. and it it reads i will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his head to the woman he said i will i will surely multiply your pain in childbearing and in pain you shall bring forth children your desire your desire shall be contrary to your husband and he shall rule over you Mm -hmm. now that's a that's a part of the fall <laughs> that came <laughs> that, that after the sin. And right. The that, that right there, that dynamic is a result of sin. That's a result of sin. And I think that's lost a lot of times mm-hmm. in, in this. And um, just speaking of 
how much authority and submission is stressed whenever speaking about masculinity and femininity or just the relationship between a man and a wife specifically. And uh, there was something I was reading the other day by, um, I believe, Michael Reeves on Mm -hmm. the Trinity. Mm -hmm. And he's talking about, um, and this book's really great. I think it's called Delighting in the Trinity. If I'm, unless I'm wrong, I think it is delighting in the Trinity, but yeah, I think you're one right. of the premier out attributes between the relationship between God, the father to God, the son, Jesus Christ is the love of the father being poured upon the son and how that is in scripture so much more mm-hmm. than even the functional subordination of the son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the functional subordination of the son is obviously there mm-hmm. like Christ on earth on mission, subordinate to God, the father. Absolutely. That's just traditional orthodoxy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the relationship between God, the father to God, the son in that God pours his love upon down upon his son. And then the son delights in that love and glorifies his father. Mm-hmm. That is so much more prevalent in scripture. But every time these these people <laughs> uh, go to <laughs> masculinity and femininity and the relationship between the, the, the husband and the wife, they only focus on authority and submission. Mm-hmm. Why aren't we writing books about how husbands should be heaping love upon their wife mm-hmm. and the wife should be delighting in the love of her husband? Mm-hmm. Like that should be the book on marriage relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, she talks about the Jesus uh, going to Mary and Martha and just the beautiful picture that is of Jesus doing something you're not allowed. I mean, women, you don't follow the rabbi mm-hmm. and they certainly don't go and host him by themselves. So this beautiful picture of Jesus value, valuing, uh, valuing women, um, Women traveled with him, provide for him in his ministry. They're healed by him, turn whole town of enemies to him. I'm just reading what Amy's saying here. And witness the gospel account of the crucifixion, burial and resurrection. Women mm-hmm. are the first to share the gospel to the apostles mm-hmm. in the upper room. So there has to be a, there has to be, this is us walking a tightrope here. There has to be a, a path that we can chart that says, we, we affirm women and want them to know that they are valued, they're important in the kingdom, they are not merely tools for submission. And in finding that balance and affirming them and empowering them, and, and if you have a teaching gift, we need to utilize that in, the, in edification of the body. We need to utilize your passion and your expertise in one area over here. If that's where you know God's called you to, then we need to create room for that and not feel like because she's in our fellowship, you know, taking time to explain something all of a sudden, Oh, she's teaching. We can't have her do that. Someone shut her up. Mm. I don't think you're suddenly swaying into heresy land by affirming this. I don't think so. And that's what drives me nuts about a lot of these critiques of Amy's stuff here. I mean, there's been some, I I feel honest critiques. I might not agree with all their conclusions yeah but some good level-headed honest critiques and there's been a lot of garbage too yeah <laughs> like a lot of frankly like insecure like sensationalistic drivel of men essentially just screaming at her through social media and blogs mm-hmm. and it's really discouraging. I saw, I saw some screenshots they were trying to oh hey let's get the book and and write you know, a ton of bad reviews and really is that manhood? It's it's petty. Is that manhood? Like, (laughs) yeah, you know, and is that, is that, I don't want to rant about this too much, but I would say more times than not, Amy bird is more qualified to be an elder than those men. (laughs) While she might not be a man, therefore not qualified to be an elder, but they are missing the mark on so many other points. Yeah. And a lot of these guys are elders, yeah. are pastors. They are sitting elders and pastors in reformed churches who do not meet the qualifications for being an elder on multiple points. Uh, specifically, when you think of uh, not being quick-tempered, yeah. <laughs> being one of many. Right. Being teachable, being yeah. correctable. Yeah, and, and being humbled enough. I, I was so excited to get this book in the mail. First of all, I knew it was causing a storm, so I'm like, all right, right I need to read this. I'm excited. And I love the subtitle 
we're getting close to wrapping up here, John, mm-hmm. how the church needs to rediscover her purpose. That's great. And I love that subtitle because someone might look at that and think, well, that has nothing to do with what she said. Actually, it's everything. She says at the end, let me repeat, this is the one thing, this is the one necessary thing. We need to know Jesus. We need to sit at his feet. That is, do the things disciples do. Participate in creative and spiritual life in the church. Contribute literary expression and spiritual creativity in the heart of existence. We are all called to the important task of passing on the heritage of the tradition to future generations. We are to serve in roles that identify with knowledge of God's word. And this inclusion will affect the public image of God's household. It will model the communion Christ's brothers and sisters have with him. Yeah, have with him where we are headed and what we expect for eternity. This was on the chapter about Phoebe being entrusted with the letter to the Romans and she would have gone to the church in Rome and read it aloud and and explained things. Oh yeah, in chapter three, this is the justification by faith thing. This is what Paul was getting at. And uh, yeah, in chapter four, this is what it, the Abraham section's about. And mm-hmm. she would have been very active in expounding on this. Right. And to some degree or another. And uh, yeah, that's the last... That's the last part of the book. So, Amy, if you ever hear this, thank you for doing, yeah, for putting in the effort to do this. And and I'm frustrated that she's constantly attacked mm-hmm. on Twitter. And I think you're absolutely right. A, a lot of it has just been childish, childish uh, sort of responses and attacks upon her character. Um, I'm, I'm actually. You know, I'm saddened, but also encouraged that there are some OPC pastors actually under ecclesiastical charges now because of some of this behavior Mm. um, that at least includes their behavior uh, uh, towards Amy Bird. I don't think it's just that, not even close, but includes that. Um, There are some criticisms of the book that I feel like are more fair, like I said, but Ultimately, I think a lot of it hinges on an incorrect understanding of authority in the church, mm-hmm. where I've heard the argument made that if Amy Bird was following her theology, if she was actually being consistent with her theology on authority and submission, then she would actually believe in women being elders. Mm. But I think that is, again, just making the mistake of thinking that eldership equals authority or non-eldership equals no authority. Right. And I think that's that's the problem where they're thinking that only men have authority and only elders, at least in the ecclesiastical setting, has authority. But when you do think of authority in the ways we've spoke about earlier, mm-hmm. I don't think that's really the best argument. Mm-hmm. So you would say, I want you to re- reemphasize that. Sure. Because I, we talked about it before we hit the record button. No, it's okay. And I said, we got to make sure we hit this because yeah. I think, and this is a great way to end the episode, but the mistake that a lot of them are making has to do with their view of authority. And she, she's not being consistent. Why? Yeah. I mean, in their view. Right. They're, they're saying her view uh, effectively means that women should be allowed to be an elder because there's that equality that she's teaching. Right. Not a radical ontological uh, equality, but an equality enough where some critics, and I would say some of these are some of the more fair critics are saying that if she were following her theology to the natural conclusion that her polity would also change. Okay. That's the, that's the thing. Theology, polity. Right. If she was following her theology, her polity would also change, but her polity hasn't changed. She's still a confessional OPC OPC. Presbyterian and she doesn't believe that women are qualified to be elders. But the argument is, is that if she was following her theology to its natural conclusion, she actually would be more liberal in this position and think that women should be elders. And that's based on the presupposition that the thing she's critiquing, (laughs) the authority submission paradigm, as if that's the only Exactly. I think that criticism is completely hinging on the idea that becoming an elder vests you with authority Mm -hmm. as opposed to serving God faithfully and serving God, uh, serving others faithfully vests you with authority. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's dead on. I, I think that's really good. Well, brother, I think we're 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 done. We're over the hour mark. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, good, good talk. I, um, 
it's funny because sometimes we'll talk about these things and I'm thinking, man, if we only had the podcast mic on right now, you know, we, we get into these conversations a it lot. Happens. But I, yeah. <laughs> but I think that the big thing is as far as a hermeneutic is concerned, just kind of a takeaway point, our, hermene- our hermeneutic has to be service, faithfulness, yeah. right? The ethics of God's mm-hmm. word being applied in real time with regard to your character, your the responsibility God has given you, the calling he's given you, those types of things. So, all right, that's it. That's it for us, Crossing Crown Radio. Find us at lambsrain.com slash CCR. Please make sure you hit subscribe. I think we got Google straightened out this week. Yeah, I think it, we did. It was, yeah. it was being or curmudgeon, but I think we got Android it. Android users should be good to go now. So you should all uh, hop on there. Make sure you're uh, uh, subscribed to the feed. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify. Still working on Amazon. Amazon's supposed to be launching something for their Kindle users, and I have not heard back from them, but... Hopefully, Lord willing, we'll be on there soon as well. So, yep. all right, that's it for us. Jesus is king. There's no neutrality, no exile, no surrender. We'll see you next time. Grace and peace.